Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. Success in real estate has nothing to do with shiny objects. It has everything to do with mastering the basics. The three pillars of real estate investing. Attract, convert, exit. Matt Terrio has been helping real estate investors do just that for more than a decade now. If you want to make money in real estate, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit reiace.com. Here's Matt. Okay, welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. I got a great one for you today. Our guest is an investor and entrepreneur who has built his investing business from the ground up. He went from zero to buying and flipping over $22 million in real estate within his first two years in the business. It's over 150 individual deals, and I invite him to come on the show because I want to know about it. I want to talk about it, and I want to share it with you. And he's, his company has grown through Discovering the Investor Mindset, which is also the name of his podcast, focused in, and he's focused on rapid growth and modeling success. And modeling is what he gives all the credit to of his success to, just copying what works for others and doing it. No need to recreate the wheel. So please help me welcome to the show. Mr. Steven Pesavento. Steven, welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Matt, super excited to be here. Grateful to be talking with you today. You're somebody I've looked up to, so it's fun to jump into things. Sweet. It's always nice to have someone on the show that tells me that nice stuff. It always starts off and makes me feel so warm. <laughs> anyway, Steven, so you haven't been doing this very long, right? No, I haven't been doing it very long. Just, just going on three years now. Just three years. Okay. So what were you doing just before you started real estate? Well, I was hanging out on the beach in, uh, in Southern California. I actually uh-huh. was in uh, Huntington Beach uh, on a little beach called Sunset. But yeah, work-wise, what I've been doing, I was in management consulting. Then I moved my way into project management of, in the startup scene, managing software development projects, and was working in the digital marketing space. And I was kept moving from role to role, looking for that passion, looking for that thing that you can really put everything into and to kind of create that lifestyle design that we always hear about. And you know, I wasn't finding it elsewhere. And the one thing that I couldn't get off my mind, the one thing I couldn't get rid of was this thought that, man, real estate could be a vehicle. Real estate could be the thing that could get me there. And finally, I decided to take the leap. Sweet. You know, you said Sunset Beach. You know what's so crazy about Sunset Beach when I first became a real estate agent, my first day on the job was an open house on Sunset Beach, right on the sand. 
No kidding. I lived yeah. right under the water tower right across from the sand. It was amazing. Oh, yeah, the water tower. Exactly. Have you ever been up in it? I have not. I didn't have that no? fortune. I've been up there. It's been for sale a couple times, and I've been able to get up there and take a look. It's pretty interesting. But, yeah, no, I was right on the sand side, and that was my very first uh, open house and ended up selling a house on my very first day on the job right in Sunset Beach. So it's near and dear to my heart. Sweet. So you decided to get involved in real estate. So what is that once you've made that decision and, you know, you use this modeling idea, which is a very smart way to go about things regardless of what it is you want to do. And you got very quick success. So what does that beginning look like? Yeah. So it felt like it took a long time to get success, but in reality, compared to some people's paths, it was pretty quick. Um, you know, I, I made that decision. I decided that I was going to go all in, that I was going to go forth in real estate. And at that time, I fired all my web development clients. I was making money, managing web projects, just doing, it was in between the corporate positions. I was really creating that space to figure out what is next. What is that thing that I want to do? But I decided I needed to cut myself off. So I burned the boats. I sent an email that day to all my clients, transitioning them to another service provider that I knew could take care of them. And mm -hmm. I cut myself off from all their options. And mm -hmm. about a week later, I went to my first real estate investing event. And I went to that event with a super clear intent in mind. I was set on getting surrounded by some other people who are already on this path, who are already doing these amazing things. And mm -hmm. the speaker uh, that was speaking that day, she was somebody who had been flipping houses for quite a while. She had already been on this, you know, this journey. She had all this experience. And I thought to myself, well, how can I add value to her life? What can I do to get connected to her, to get close to her, to be able to learn what she knows? And how can I give her something so that she'll offer that as an option in return? And so I obviously had this web experience background and I offered mm -hmm. to, to build her this website. In return, nice. I got to follow her around for months and, you know, get my feet wet in the real estate game. That's awesome. Uh, a few big points there. First of all, what, what the first event, what type of an event was this? It was a four investors, via investors, a okay. real estate, uh, real estate meetup there in Southern California. Got it. Which one? It was the long beach one with, uh, with Matt Owens. Oh, and Iris veneration was the one who was speaking the woman I'm talking about. That's Love you, crazy. Iris. All right. So we have sunset beach in common. <laughs> and my very first wholesale deal was wholesaling turnkey properties for Matt Owens. Oh my God. What a small world. Matt is an amazing guy. Matt, if you ever listen, I love you, buddy. Yeah, he didn't, he never misses an episode. So he just heard you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's been on the show several times and uh, yeah, he didn't even know that uh, I got my start by selling his properties. That's kind of how it all, well, I did my first deal. Uh, that was in Long Beach. And then it was about, and I got that real done really, really quickly. And then it was about seven or eight months before I got my second deal. And that's when I started doing uh, selling Matt's properties. But um, cool. So there's that wasn't even expecting that. So Phoebe, great organization, great friends of the show. And so I know Iris very, very well. But the one thing that I wanted you to I wanted to point out right here, if anyone is is looking to follow in your footsteps and model what you did to get started, um, I think probably the most impactful thing was you asked yourself, how can I add value to them? Right. And I think that's so key. And having been doing this for about 10 years, I mean, just the, the amount of emails that come through are, it's pretty extraordinary of like once uh, after 10 years of doing a podcast. So, but a lot of stuff like how can I, uh, 
you know, can I follow you around? I'll, uh, what can I do for you? What do you need? You get a lot of those types of questions and it's so refreshing when someone just says, here, I'll do this for you. And I have two people that work for me to this day. And that's exactly how they got in. One person came up to me and says, Hey, uh, your show notes suck. Let me, uh, let me do them for you. If, if you show me how to do real estate. And so she still works for us. And then the next dude said, Hey, I just want to hang out. I live right down the street. I'll work for free and you can just pay me whenever you need me to pay me. Mm. And he works for me to this day. And he's probably one of the highest paid people at my office. Mm. So that's great, Steven. You got, you got a good head on your shoulders and you did it right. So you followed Iris around. You did a lot. You did a lot of production in the first two years. Did you do those with Iris or did you do them on your own? How did that work? I, I didn't do that. So I started my game by going out and, or starting this game by going out and learning from some other folks. But I attempted in the real estate market in Southern California, pretty, uh, I attempted to, to get my first deal. I, I followed some of the systems she was talking about. I, I put, you know, 80 offers in six weeks down on properties on the MLS. I ended up going and looking at a bunch of properties. I ended in that process. I learned how to run the numbers, how to talk to Mm -hmm. agents, how to do all these things, but I didn't get a good deal out of any of that work. I got two Mm -hmm. deals that are under contract, two of them that I attempted to wholesale to other people and they were junk deals because the reason I got them under contract was because I didn't know that they had foundation issues or this or that, or my comps were off or it was hard to value that price. But when I actually really got started was about four months after that. I had been going with this Mm -hmm. figure and I I had this realization that after sending 3,000 mailers um, in Southern California and I only got 12 phone calls, I realized, wow, my money's not going to go very far and I don't have a lot of it. So I need to Mm -hmm. figure out, well, where can it go the farthest? And I opted to go out of state. And at that point in time, I decided... uh, I was looking at some markets in the Midwest and in the Southeast, and I started doing some business in Raleigh, North Carolina, and that's one of the markets that I'm I'm still in today. And we started, uh, you know, doing some marketing, started modeling what some other people were doing on the high volume marketing side, mm-hmm. and even from that point of view. I was spending a lot of money. It still took three months, four months before I got that first deal, right? I had to I had to have the confidence and the faith that I was going to succeed, that I was doing the right thing and that it takes a little bit of time before people decide that they want to sell and that they're going to actually sell to you. And when I finally got that first check, it was only like $4,200. It was a grind to get it sold. It was a crappy property in a crappy neighborhood and I took forever to find a buyer. And when I first got that money, but what it did for me is it said, hey, you can do this. This is real. This is mm-hmm. people really make money and and look, they're making money and you're making money and soon after that we started hitting the volume that I that I uh you know to get to that 75 deals the first year, but it all started with one. Yep, it always does. Nice. Yeah, so you were you're sharing with your your Southern California experience the the 80 offers in 6 weeks and what was the other thing you'd said? You'd, oh, the mailers and very little response rate. So that's kind of typical of Southern California. Do you know how Iris was actually finding her deals, the ones that she was doing? Most of the deals that she was finding was through her network. So she had built mm-hmm. a giant network. She was running a club. She was teaching some people through a program she ran twice a year called the 60-Day Challenge. And most yep. of the deals came in through relationships. And I think that can be a great way to do it, but it takes longer. It takes more time and 
you know, for her, she had that time on her side and she had those relationships ready to go, but that could work for anybody. And it's a way yep. that doesn't really cost a lot of money. It just takes, takes your time and effort to do. Amen to that. Yeah. It's a, uh, you can market to go fast. You can do relationships to go far is what I always say. And, uh, be having gotten my start in Southern California as well. That's where my deals came from too. I just went through the relationships. So you went out of state. So, uh, you were living in Southern California. Did you move to Raleigh? Or how did you pick I, Raleigh? I did not. I, Raleigh was one of the fastest growing third tier markets at the time. And okay. so I was on a lot of lists. I ended up partnering with an experienced flipper who was moving out to Raleigh. I had already picked it as my market. He decided he was going to move there and do some development in the area. And okay. uh, Mike Foley, you probably know him as well. And uh, he moved out to the area and he was managing and running the flips while I was managing and running the sales team and the marketing and kind of the operation that took to get the deals. And so over those first two years, we flipped about half of those 150 properties. The rest were wholesales. Um, mm -hmm. But the wholesaling really, that brought in the money to keep the operation going, but we actually made a profit on the flips because it was so expensive for us to go out and find these deals and to do things at this kind of a high volume uh, the real key was how can we maximize the profit per deal? But flipping 150 properties would have been a little bit too much. I mean, 75 was frankly a little bit over the top aggressive, but, uh, That's a lot. you know, in that process, you learn a lot about what works and what doesn't. And, you know, after spending a million dollars in marketing over the last two and a half years, you know, I definitely can see how quickly different channels can change and how important it is to be tracking exactly what you're doing and uh, mm -hmm. to be able to keep that baby going. Yeah. So let's start with the marketing part. So you had boots on the ground that was going to do all the work for you, right? So you had, you had boots on the ground. You had somebody on location. You did the marketing from here. So what did that marketing program or system, what that setup look like? Well, so I hired boots on the ground, salespeople in particular, and I partnered with somebody to do the flips. But the marketing to get when I got started and – and it still works today, but it doesn't work at the same level that it did, was direct mail. Mm -hmm. And I was okay. doing high volume postcards, mostly to high equity, um, going for uh, reaching a lot more people versus being more targeted. You know, mm -hmm. over time, we've had to go more targeted because of how competitive things have gotten in our area. Um, mm -hmm. But we started out doing a lot of direct mail. We started adding in some pay-per-click, which was really profitable for a while. And isn't quite as profitable at the same volume that we were doing before. Um, mm -hmm. And pretty much for those first two years, those were our two channels. We focused in on, hey, what's working and how can we do more of it? And mm -hmm. uh, then started figuring out, well, how can we do more of it more cost effectively instead of just spending more to get more deals? Got it. Okay. So uh, you're sending out the direct mail, you're sending out postcards and you're going really broad, right? Um, the phone is ringing. Who's answering the phone? So my team was set up from a position of I had a lead manager who would answer the phone. When I got started, I answered it because I was out of state. I was in a position where I didn't have money to hire other people until we closed some deals. So one of the second roles that we hired for was a lead manager. Most of the time, I would have say that's the first role that you hire. But because mm -hmm. I was out of state, it gave me an opportunity to really work these leads to know exactly what's going on. So when I passed them to my sales guy who wasn't as good as me at sales, because when you're starting mm -hmm. out, it's, you work with the people you can get. Um, I knew 
what was a deal or not. And when he would go and work the lead and go and get the sale, I was directly connected. So I had a good feeling for what channel's working because I'm hearing what these people are saying. And so Mm -hmm. as the team grew, we hired more acquisition managers. People went out and bought the properties. We had disposition Mm -hmm. manager. People would sell the properties. But a transaction coordinator, people would coordinate the transaction, make sure that Mm -hmm. everyone is where they're supposed to be. And then while we were doing high volume flipping, we had a project manager who'd go and check on all the properties and make sure the contractors are where they're supposed to be. Got it. Super. So how did you find or what was your your resource for finding your acquisition guys? Yeah. So I've got a figured out a pretty good process for this over time. Um, The biggest thing is that finding good salespeople is the most important piece of building Mm -hmm. a wholesaling or flipping company when you're going and talking about getting deals. If you're not going to be the one doing the sales, I mean, a good salesperson is 10x a mediocre or medium salesperson. So what I would do is I'd post multiple different job postings for different role levels. I'd post Mm -hmm. job postings for brand new, low-level salespeople. I'd post job postings that describe the position in detail. I'd post job postings that were really short. And I'd post job postings for ones that were more of a sales manager type role. And I thought of this more of like a a funnel for these different people who are going to come in. And then through that process, I had them take personality profiling, uh, profile tests such mm-hmm. as the DISC or Culture Index or some of these others. Mm-hmm. We use DISC and, and, and Culture Index, but I'll explain it from a DISC perspective, um, which is available for free. It's a personality profile test you can take. You can use a service like WiseHire um, to put up some of these posts. But through mm-hmm. that, I was able to kind of see what are the different personality profiles of these people and start filtering them down. And then from there, I started doing uh, phone interviews where it would be very quick phone screens where I'm just connecting with the person. I've only got seven minutes to talk to them. I'm upfront and clear about that. And I'm scheduling like 10 or 15 phone interviews within an hour. And the point of that is that I'm going to let the phone conversations go longer if it's somebody I really like, and I'm going to cut the phone conversation immediately as soon as I realize this person is definitely not a fit. And so through that process, I'm able to screen a lot of people, connect with a lot of people, feel out if they've got that rapport building skill, if they're asking me questions, if they're, they've got the background that could fit. And then you know, from there, we'll dive deeper into some more one-to-one um, video interviews and personal interviews and job shadowing. So yeah, it's a lot of work to, to build a team then is what you're saying. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's a full-time gig. <laughs> and, and then you got to manage them, right? And then you got to manage totally. them. Okay. So you said that uh, your, your PPC and your postcard direct mail not working as, as well as, as it used to. And you've been looking for the more cost-effective improvements and stuff like that. What are some of the things you've stumbled upon that are more cost-effective? I mean, direct mail still works. It just doesn't work at the same volume. And totally. Same with PPC. But, you know, cold calling obviously has gotten pretty popular. And as long as you're mm-hmm. willing to put the time in or, again, hire people and build the team to do it, that's an effective mm-hmm. model. Texting has become pretty popular as long as you're doing it in the right way. I've heard a lot of people talk about RVM. We haven't done as much of that because we've been touching people through our cold calling campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. But it's all the stuff that you'd expect to hear. Um, it's just, it's hard work to go out Mm -hmm. and find these deals and 
knock totally. on doors and, and hear from folks. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you'd mentioned earlier about uh, you guys have been focused on maximizing your profit per deal. Uh, what are some of the ways that you've done that? Well, well, just as the market starts to tighten, so does, so does your focus on going really for bottom line instead of volume of deals. And so mm-hmm. rather than running this big scale team, we've shrunk it down to being the most, the most effective uh, people in each of those roles. So we went from 15 down to seven, down to five, and we're still producing the same amount of bottom line revenue off of those people because they're working every lead on a really detailed level. It also comes down to going and doing much more targeted marketing, figuring out what are the lists that are working? How can I find people that are on multiple lists, AKA list stacking, and Mm -hmm. then go through the process of making sure that no lead gets left behind. And so it's really just really tightening up those systems, making sure that we're only working with the best of the best and that those salespeople who are on the front lines are really making sure they don't leave a deal behind because what we found is when you're moving really fast and you're growing, you end up, things start falling through the cracks and that stuff that falls through really goes towards that bottom line. Mm-hmm. So what does, uh, what's the future look like for you right now? How are uh, you viewing the market and how is it changing the way you're doing your business? Yeah, well, I think the market's definitely tightening. I mean, it's tightening mm-hmm. in, in the markets that I'm in, in Minnesota and North Carolina. Um, what I'm seeing is that it's costing more money to get a deal. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot more people moving in and you know, wanting to get started in this space. I'm also noticing that the investors are being a little bit more conservative about their buying criteria because the buyers are also being a little bit more conservative. So what mm-hmm. I'm doing is I'm making sure that, that I don't have too much overhead that's too far out. In this business, it takes a little bit of time for it to catch up. I spend money today that I finally make money two or three months down the line. So I've tightened that up and really focused on, well, what are some other ways that we can really add value to our investors? You know, With the Investor Mindset Podcast, obviously, we're talking a lot about how do people think about success and how can they apply some of these strategies in their own business if they're just those people who are coming into the industry and just getting started? And how can you avoid some of these mistakes that people who've been in the business like yourself have been in for so long? You know, you know, I was talking to Rod Khalif a while back and you know, he lost $50 million in 2008. And how can we avoid going into this next recession if we're going to, it won't be quite as bad as the last we predict, but uh, how can we avoid some of those mistakes and start thinking a little bit more conservatively versus kind of getting way ahead of, over my skis like I had been for those first three years? Mm-hmm. So you are um, being a little bit more selective with what you're buying, I guess, and being a little bit sele- more selective with how big you go. Being more selective, being more selective about where I'm spending money. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also not flipping any properties right now. Not that we wouldn't, but we're being very mm-hmm. selective about the properties that we keep. Um, and we're wholesaling a good portion of those. We're looking mm-hmm. at a lot of deals from a long-term perspective. So we've partnered or are considering partnerships with some experienced syndicators um, that have been doing different projects from storage to multifamily and have been doing them for a really long time and figuring out, well, how can we invest our money in a way that has a longer window 
than five months, maybe five years, so that if there's any kind of downturn, we know that we're going to be in a position where we can we can sure. weather the storm. Nice. So what's in the future that you're most excited about? What's in the future that I'm most excited about? Such a good question. Um, well, right now I'm really trying to focus on the present and just enjoying today. Uh, mm-hmm. But what's coming down the pipe is, you know, with the investor mindset, we've been growing like crazy. It's been so much fun. Our community keeps growing. If people are really focused on personal development, how they can change their thoughts and beliefs and put those into action. And so I've partnered with a former Tony Robbins coach, Trevor McGregor, who mm-hmm. has 25,000 hours of coaching experience. And he has agreed to come and teach our community about how to change some of these thoughts and beliefs and how to put those into action in the real estate business. So I'm excited about this project that we're rolling out in partnership with him and, you know, just getting out and connecting with more people one-to-one. You know, I think this is a great business, but it really comes down to the relationships that you build more so than the money that you make. Amen to that. So many gold nuggets in there, Steve. It's been a pleasure. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? I would recommend heading to theinvestormindset.com slash clarity. And we've got a quick little masterclass we put together to help people get more clear on, on some of their purpose and how they can do more effective things in their real estate business. It's totally free. Just head to theinvestormindset.com slash clarity or go check out The Investor Mindset on your favorite podcast app. Would love to, uh, would love to see you there. Super. Well, Stephen, like I said, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again. I look forward to it, buddy. All right. Take care. All righty. So that's it for today. God bless to your success. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.